0: Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Supplied, episode 417. This program is dedicated in merit of Baruch Yoman ben Menuch and Miriam Baschai Sarah Sara Altej, Yukusil Ben ben Rachel and Rochel Basli Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Tadros ben Miriam and Sara Bas Rochel Altej. So we uh, I finished the first week of the month of Elul, this special unique month, the last month of the year, the, also, the month that prepares us for the new year, where a new energy, unprecedented as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, in the fourteen, unprecedented energy that never existed before, enters into our lives. So the better we prepare ourselves for such an energy, the more we can benefit from it. Everybody in our, anybody in this world, anybody in life, can always use blessings, even when things are good expression is, if good is good, is better, not better. And especially considering that we have challenges. So we all can look forward to a new year. New opportunities, new possibilities, new hope. Even for things where we may have given up somewhat. So it's a momentous time that we're in right now. And to fully take advantage of it, we learn Chassidus, we learn Torah. That takes and helps us tap into this potent energy in the month of El. Looking at our own lives, intra- looking at our own lives, introspectively, soul-searching, trying to understand in a better way what it is that we're capable of, what our possibilities are, looking at things that we need to amend or correct or improve, and obviously taking on new resolutions as we grow in our lives. And it's always important in all these type of things to remember the focus, the mission of your life. Why are we here? We we're sent to this world because you, each one of you, each one of us was given unique skills, unique opportunities, that you're indispensable and what you need to contribute in this world, no one but you can contribute. You were sent to this world to be an ambassador of light, of godliness, of the divine. That wherever you go, whatever you touch, whoever you encounter, to release and free the great potential in that interaction. That's called, in Hasidic and Kabbalistic terminology, redeeming, elevating, the divine sparks, the spiritual opportunities in everything that we do. And it requires cognizance. It requires awareness and focus and commitment. But we live in a world, as the Kabbalist put it, that Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya, it's a world of clipes, think of it, a world of husks, a world of shells, If you want to visualize it, think of a world that you see the potato peels, the orange peels, the eggshells. You see the outer surface, in the words of the Shallah, the clipper that's meant to be shamer lepri, the husk, the shell, the peel that's meant to protect the fruit within. But often we get distracted by the peel. And the peel is the material world. It's on a surface level that we eat, we drink, our other physical needs, sleep shop we're not even talking about something that's not permitted just the material existence by its very nature and the word nature in hebrew actually means tovu comes from the word tovu it's submerged it's like objects that are submerged and concealed where they concealed in this husk in these husks it's for us to be the wise person who sees that with the birthing looks inside and sees not just the shell but the egg within sees the chick that can be born from it. That in every given situation, there's a fruit that can be born out of it. Sees beyond the shell. That's our job. And the month of El, when we make a cheshbon, an accountability for the past year, and we prepare for the new year, that's exactly what we should be focusing on. Taking the details of our lives and seeing, what can I do to reveal the purpose of the cosmic engineer in this machine? The purpose of the divine, God's purpose. Nothing God created was levatola. God did not create anything for waste. and Not just not to waste, but he, but, but he created it in order to honor him. So you're using technology. Technology is a... In the words of the Rebbe, he wrote it. An enormous power, an immense, awesome power in nature, like electricity, that God planted from the beginning of time. It took human beings years to develop a technology to tap into that power how are we using that how are we using that power the power of communications and have to understand it's all created in order to reach out to another person share with them a nice kind word share with them a thought from the torah share with them encouragement to do a good deed anything that will connect and reveal the neshama the soul in the person the soul in yourself and the month of ella we increase in all of that because that's what the month is all about. The month is to culminate the year and prepare us for the new year. And when you do it in a new way, in a fresh way, not by rote, not mechanically, but actually with vitality, with spirit, with emotions, with passion, then the blessing comes in direct proportion to our effort. Then the blessing, the new energy that enters, also enters with passion and vitality and is internalized. So it's all commensurate, mida connected mida for how we behave. That's why every day of an Elul is so precious and needs to be looked at in that way. Literally a chance to both redeem the past and create a new and better destiny in the future. That's in general terms for each one of us. What we need to do is tailor that message, each one according to our own personal life. And when you do it with someone else, with your spouse, with your children, with friends, it always makes it more powerful because we each support each other, the synergy of a collective. So that's overall words about the month of El, especially as I said, we've finished the first week, we're now entering the next week of the month of El, the time when Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain, beseeching, praying, begging God to forgive the people after their transgressions. Basically to rebuild a love that was compromised, that was somewhat severed, to rebuild it stronger than ever. And he will be successful, we know that. Coming Yom Kippur, the end of the 40-day period from Rosh Chodesh El, Moshe will come down with the mountain with the second tablets in hand with forgiveness. Salachtikid varecha, as we shall say in Kippur night. So the lesson to us is as well that we too have the opportunity to rebuild anything that was broken, to rebuild dreams that may have been shattered, aspirations that may, promises that were broken, aspirations that may not have been fulfilled, or, or things harsher or more mild. In every given area, this is what El has the power to achieve. And indeed, that's the Mosul, the Rebbe gives the analogy, the Melech Basada, the king is in the field, accessible on a field level, even in our workday, even in the things that the mundane activities we're involved in, we can find the fruit within the husks, within the Klippa, and reveal it, and fulfill thereby the purpose of our lives, the purpose of these objects' lives and existence, and the very purpose of the cosmic reality, all of existence. The month of El. So overall, so what we'll talk about now, of course, is more specific to this week. It's the week of Parsha Kiseitze. Also, many, many questions came in about the month of El. Continue to come in. So I'll try to balance it all, plus some other questions and issues that uh, people are addressing. And here's a good opportunity to invite you, if you're not familiar, go to chedasupplied.com. is a full website dedicated to Chedas Applied where you can you find a forum where you can submit any question completely anonymously and confidentially. Nothing is taboo. Any topic you wish to address, personal, collective, even things that others may want, not want to address. This is the place, and I will, please God, do my best to answer it in a timely manner. There is a backup, I have to be honest. More questions coming in than I'm able to keep up with. But that's a good sign. And hence we have now 417 weeks Going now into the ninth year of, uh, of uh, this program, My Life Citizen Applied. And it could not be possible without you. It's a two way street. Your questions, I try to answer. I always take your questions in return. Also, many of you submit answers, thoughts, and insights, including sometimes corrections, which is all part of the agreement, um, the, <laughs> the unspoken agreement, but clearly the synergy that we create weekly in this uh, special program called My Life Hasidus Applied. Okay. And it's a good opportunity as well. If you look at chassidusapplied.com, you'll find other resources, uh, whether it's uh, on my Mori that I teach different classes, as well as the archives of previous classes, as well as essays and creative submissions that many of you submitted in bridging and applying ideas of Chassidus to personal and um, challenges of our times contemporary issues that we all deal with and that is the objective Okay, so let's go right into the month of El perfect segue Um, let us begin with why do we start saying L'dovet Hashem Eri starting Rosh Chodesh El what is the significance of the psalm to the preparation for the new year so, there's actually quite a few different reasons given for it. I'm actually looking myself right now at the book that I've done called um, 60 Days, A Spiritual Guide to Counting. I'm sorry, A Spiritual Guide to the High Holidays. It's similar to my book on Omer, A Spiritual Guide to the High Holidays, to the to a spiritual guide to the counting of the Omer, but this is a spiritual guide to the high holidays. And indeed, there are different reasons given. Firstly, the verses themselves all talk about the revelation, Dovat Hashem 80 that god shines a special glow especially in this period of the of the of the year and that is the general theme of the dovrad HaShem Eri. Um, there are several reasons given that i'd like to uh, share with you let me just um, it's said from rosh Yishel through hishana Rabbah. And it's based on the Medrash, which associates the light of David and the light of all human beings with Rosh Hashanah. When by the light of the soul, God searches out the deepest recesses of the human being. The Medrash associates the the salvation of David and of all human beings with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when everyone is redeemed. The theme of this psalm is also related to the revelation of the 13 divine attributes of compassion, which radiate during Elul. And indeed, this psalm mentions Hashem's name, God's name, 13 times. So these are several of the basic reasons given in different halachic svarim. And some actually explain the different details of each of the verses as they associate with, um, with, with Elul. Now remember, El is the king is in the field. It's a time when there are less veils, less partitions that are blocking and between the divine and existence. So this prayer, like every prayer, is meant to evoke that theme and reveal the deeper strengths that are within us. So there are those that actually explain, I believe the Avodrahim, um, the Mata Afrayim. I'm just giving some sources, the Birch Yisuf, where they talk about the themes of this um, Psalm 27, Chavzayin, with the month of El, Ponim Yoffes as well, and Parshish Akhari, and many other books that talk about it. So, bottom line is that we have now an opportunity, using the example that Chassidus gives, of kir, Kiruv Hamoir ala Nitzutz. Moir ala Nitzutz, Moir means a luminary, Nitzutz is a spark. So think of an orbit, you have a, let's call it a mother flame, and you have sparks that are orbiting around. Throughout the year, these sparks are each on their own journey, and somewhat distant from the mother flame. It means each individual soul is off on its mission wherever it needs to be in this world. But then comes closer to the end of the year as we move into the month of El, closer to Tishrei. It's called Kiruv Hamoir El The luminary, the mother flame, the mother soul, the divine energy gets closer to the sparks. What happens when a spark gets closer to a flame? You see, they begin tugging at each other. And that's why we feel a certain awakening. We feel a certain arousal within. That is essentially the feelings of, of El. We're feeling that tug, that closeness. And the Dovod Hashem captures that light, captures that energy. Now, obviously, saying the prayer is beautiful, but saying it with intention and also applying it to our lives is above all the thing that does it. Because then you actualize it. You actualize, what can I do as I get closer to my source, and that's why I described earlier, that is living up to the mission. Because that source sent each spark on a mission. So as we get closer to the source during Tishrei, and we will be renewed with new energy as we go into the new year, with a renewed mission, with new elements to it, this is the time to recharge our batteries and reconnect to that mission. To move away from the husks and look at the fruit of our lives. That's exactly what the whole verse, this verse 27 in Tehillim, that Dover HaMelech said, that became something we say each of the days, till Hashanah which is the end of the sealing of the decree and sealing of the book of life that is written and then, and then signed on Yom Kippur, Hashanah is when it's sealed and then sent off to determine the destiny of our lives for the coming year. Obviously, there are ways we can always improve on it, that's another discussion, not for now. Okay, why is it customary to check tefillin and mezuzahs during Elul? The same reason. Tefillin and mezuzahs, of course, our daily things were involved in tefillin for putting on tefillin every weekday. Mezuzahs on each door. We say both in, in Shema, we mention both. These are the two reminders that remind us of the divine in our lives firstly in our mind and our heart with tefillin, and mezuzah in our homes. <speaking> in <Hebrew> it's the idea of God's presence in our lives. Now, of course, the condition is that these, the, the, both of them have parchments have parchment from different verses in the Torah, which evoke God's power, and these have to be written, as the Torah says, in a very specific way. So once a year, what better time when we're preparing for the new year and making a cheshmer for the, old, for the past year is to check out tefillin and mezuzahs which is part of a mitzvah to do to make sure that they're kosher that if anything may have rubbed off or something that needs to be fixed so what better time than month of Elul this is on a very basic level I think it's tefillin and mezuzahs is one of the answers that Rebbe would give very often because it's one of the easiest things we can do and it's also constantly with you and when a person does check them it's not just let's say you check them and find that they're good that's also part of uh, the custom. That's, uh, that, uh, you, don't, you don't necessarily have to find something wrong. The point is that maintain the highest integrity because the channel, we use the words of Chassidus, the channel that comes through these holy letters and holy words, these sacred words on the parchment in the Tfil and the Mizuzas, is the way the blessings are channeled to us. So as we go into the new year looking for blessings and preparing ourselves, one of the things we do is check now, of course, checking also means checking your heart and soul as well. It's also called B'dike. It's Just like B'dike is Chometz. Chometz is before Pesach. Here, too, we need to introspection, soul-searching, accountability. But that's already an extension. That's an addition to the actual physical checking of Tefillin and mezuzas. Next question. Are we allowed to start praying for the New Year in El? More specifically, hello from Sederot in Israel. Okay? So... Speaking to the people in Sidarot, God should always protect you. You're on the border, close to, unfortunately, some attacks. And Hashem Yishmer we talked about, especially in Israel, Hashem which is also connected to Rosh Hashanah, as the Altareb explains in that, in Geras 14. So, hello from Sidarot. in Israel. Are we allowed to start praying for the new year in El? Are there things we are not allowed to pray for? Can we pray... For the downfall of our enemies, or if we put it into nicer terms, can we ask Hashem to intervene and make sure our neighbors in Gaza don't shoot missiles at us? Are we allowed to pray for the success of a local football team, or is that considered disrespectful because Hashem is busy with more important things? Can we pray for being able to see revealed miracles? Is it true that it says in the Torah that if you pray for something that, that someone else needs, Hashem answers you first? In case it's true, may Hashem bless you to win the lottery. Have a happy new year, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you for your great online classes. Okay, warm regards, straight from the front lines in Eretz Yisrael. So first of all, when it comes to prayer, you can pray for anything you like. that's the main mitzvah of prayer, to ask for what you need. So when you say about to pray for protection in Gaza, absolutely. We pray for protection, we pray for our own health, we pray for Bona Chaim and Revicha. For children, for health, for long life, all and for parnasa, for livelihood. But vichi, expansively, in abundance, and absolutely, and yes, in El is the time to start. You don't have to wait till Rosh Hashanah to start praying. First of all, we pray all year round, but especially in El, which is summing up the year and preparing for the new year, and it's never. You can never say it's enough. The more you prepare, the more you acclimate yourself, the more you put yourself in that emotional state. What a service of the heart prayer. It's speaking from your heart to God. We speak from our hearts to God, which is the essence of prayer. And there's always, you can do that 24 seven, any day, any time. But especially El, when the king is available, as the Alter Rebbe says, and he's smiling to you. And you can ask anything you wish. Now we also have to be wise pray for things that are important. When you say in the same breath, praying for protection from, and in, in, it's a slow, to winning a football, a football team winning, I wouldn't put that exactly in the same breath. You know, one is completely optional, one is entertaining, maybe. Uh, and I, I am, I'm not going to condone a prayer for a sports team winning because I don't see that as being something that is so vital. Um, you know, I would reserve prayers for things that are priority, but if someone does, they do. I'm not going to criticize it either. I just think we have to be wise in how we prioritize. Now, can God listen to all prayers? Yes. Don't worry about God in this sense. Worry about yourself. Where are your priorities? And God will understand if a person feels something is important. I remember repeating what the Rebbe once told my father. Now, one of the things that bothers him most is when people ask for something, when they could ask for pearls and gems and precious stones, they ask for a sherbul, a shard to scratch their back because we're uncomfortable for the moment. So it's important also to be wise, to, add, to use your prayers wisely. But again, I'm not here to criticize when a person speaks to their Father in heaven. You don't censor that. Anyone can speak from their heart. So it all comes down to what we feel is important and needs. So I would prioritize. List the things that are most important and work your way down. That's how I would probably do it. But God can organize it as well, even if you don't get it perfectly right. The main thing is the sincerity, the main thing is the connection, the main thing is reaching out. You know, sometimes you come to your father, to your mother, and you ask for something. It may be small, but you reach to them. There's a love in that, and there's a love that's that's reciprocated. So that's above all. That's why the details are obviously important, and that's why I said prioritize. But again, it's ultimately the connection that we make and for revealed miracles absolutely And that's what you're referring to that one who prays for another who has, for a certain need they will be answered to first and fine you pray for me for the lottery god should bless you that you should win the lottery before i do we should both win it but uh, regardless we should always be concerned with others as well besides ourselves and yes, indeed, when you open the channel, when you pray for someone else in that need, you will get that need to respond to first. That's what the Gemara says clearly. Okay, very good. And again, my best regard back to Siddhartha, May God protect Jews everywhere, but especially those that are on the front lines. And no more here more about attacks. Everything should be only prayers for blessings, reveal blessings, only growth and more growth and further growth. And not have to deal with Sumerah and avoiding the enemies. You asked the question as well, are we allowed to pray for the downfall of our enemies? If there are actual enemies attacking, then it's part of our prayer as well. We'll soon talk about which is one of the chapters we read during El and we read this week. But, uh, but in general, yes. But again, I would focus always on the positive and on priorities. So that's the key thing. Next question. Oh, you also asked, are there things we are not allowed to pray for? Well, the thing comes to mind would be you wouldn't pray for something that's a crime. That's a sin. and That's a transgression. You wouldn't pray for things that are destructive. I mean, that's the most obvious. Um, you wouldn't want to pray for something that is inappropriate. And That everyone has to determine on their own. You're not asking anything specific. Again, as far as enemies go, if it's a time of war, that's part of also what we need. You know, for us to be victorious, for us to be strong. But remember, together with prayer also comes the efforts that we have to employ. Okay. Next question. What are practical ways that we can benefit from the revelation of the 13 attributes of divine compassion in El? How can we access them? So this was asked by several different people. Let me just read a summary of quite a few different questions that came in. Remember as well, many questions come in, some of them are, are very similar, so I tried to bunch them together. I don't have to repeat them all, but they are all in the same spirit, and, but I do like to read it in the language, the way it was written to me. If the month of Elul is a time where the 13 attributes of mercy are revealed and anyone can benefit from them, what are some practical ways that we can interact and physically benefit from them? For example, I've been poor most of my life, and it's a big struggle to pay my bills on time. Is Hashem... Having mercy on indigent people. One of the thir- is, is Hashem having mercy clearly on people who are in need one of the 13 attributes of mercy? And if so, how can I make these blessings manifest into the physical world where it will create better job opportunities for me with a raise in salary? I have four friends that are close to 40 years old and still not married yet, and they are suffering terribly. What part of the 13 attributes of mercy can they tap into to access Hashem's mercy for single people that are suffering, so that God sends them a good shidduch right away without any obstacles? Personally, I have so much mercy and compassion for my single friends that I would trade any blessing intended for me to have an increase in Parnosa this year for a blessing that my friends and any other single person who wants to get married, that they should find their bashet right away. I'm just a regular person living in upstate New York, but Hashem is infinitely powerful and can do whatever he wants. If he wants, he has enough blessings for me and my friends and everyone else in the world that needs a blessing. So, what must we do to access this in a revealed manner in our physical world? May the new year of 5783 bring blessings to alleviate pain and suffering for anyone who needs and transform the suffering into joy and happiness. Amen. Another person writes, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, since El is the time we are taught that the thirteen attributes of mercy are revealed, what do we have to do to receive them? Is just reading them at the appropriate times during davening enough? And then immediately, Hashem reacts with mercy to our prayers? Do we need to understand that the words mean what the words mean, or just saying them in Hebrew is enough? If we are taking a walk somewhere, are we allowed to repeat the text of the thirteen attributes over and over like a mantra? Would it be beneficial to do so? Should we rent a truck with speakers on top and drive around the neighborhoods playing a recording of of a chazan singing the 13 attributes in order to bring Hashem's mercy all over the neighborhood? If we do absolutely nothing, do we receive the 13 attributes automatically? What is the best way to proceed? Okay. So, like it is with everything, 13 attributes of divine compassion, Yud Gimel Midas HaRachmin, that Hashem revealed to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Pasha Kisisa, in these days, when he was asking and praying for the forgiveness of the people. These are called divine energy. This is called channels of divine energy that enter into our existence. Just like that's why the month of Elul is considered a month, a special month. But that's why the Alter Rebbe explains that these Yudh Gimomid come into our mundane lives. That's why this month is a month of weekdays, not holidays. But what is a holiday? A holiday is not just some random day that's A holiday. It's a special divine energy that enters on that particular day. It's channeled on that particular day. So that day becomes a Yemtiv. Same thing with Shabbos. There's something special about the seventh day of the week. But like every energy, think of energy. Think suddenly, let's say, blessings are coming from above. It's raining outside, and your field needs water. You need water. You need to build containers. If the the field is is, uh, covered up, or the earth is not plowed properly, the water won't have the proper effect. Can it still make things grow? Of course it can. But the more keli that you create, God blesses us in everything we create. We have to create the containers. That's why Moshe told the Jews when they were stuck between a rock and a hard place, with the Egyptians pursuing them and the river Nile in front of them, prayer was not enough. You have to do something. Yaakov Avinu prayed, but he also prepared a bribe to appease Asaph. He also prepared for war. Thank God he needed two out of the three. So making a keli is a critical component. But let's not underestimate the power of prayer. God hears our prayers. Why he answers them when he answers them and how he answers them, that's God's mysteries. Sometimes you see the answer immediately. Sometimes it takes time. So the answer comes not the way we expect it. But it's very clear every prayer is answered. We discussed this many times, just as an aside, even though it's not directly the question, but I just want to mention the shaloh. Prayer opens up doors, but sometimes you need more doors opened, And sometimes you need also the establishment. You can pray for a shidduch. You can pray for parnasa livelihood, or for, for finding a soulmate. But then go to, go, go to sleep or go into a basement and not do anything. Maybe God sent you the response, but you didn't go receive it. And that's not as a critique I'm saying that. I'm saying that's part of the process. The prayer comes with effort. God also prays, but answers us through giving us resources. Maybe He's sending someone to meet meet you today, and you have to go somewhere to meet that person. So you have to get up and do, do what you have to do. And as Gokha Pratis, you'll bump into the right person. That also is a response to prayer. It's not always going to come, like I said, you are where you are. There's the is the effort. So of course, and I my heart goes also out to all the people that are in need, whether it's for a shidduch, whether it's for livelihood or the other things you mentioned, or for health, by all means. And we pray for each other, and we beg God, give us no matter what. Don't have to always wait till every effort is made. But if you look at yourself, you want to maximize the results. And maximizing results means investing as much as possible. So in response to your question, is the 13 attributes are a tremendous gift. They're a tremendous blessing from above. Only God could reveal them. It's a secret. There's the 13 secret attributes. God says, say these words. Whenever you'll need something, say these 13 attributes and, and you'll be blessed and showered with blessings. So saying them definitely has effect. Saying them with intention even more so. And doing something it says there that Hashem is educh rav chesed. So how do you make a keli? By you being kind. By showing abundant kindness by being patient and tolerant. And each one of the 13 attributes has, a, it's a virtue, it's an attribute. And we have those attributes within us, reflected within us. So in addition to saying it, acting on it, being more compassionate, more kind, more generous, and all the other attributes that are defined, so you're making a caliph for each one of the 13 attributes. Is there something specific in each one toward the shidduch, toward marriage, toward parnosa? Some sevarim may talk about that, that I don't recall specifically which one corresponds to which. It's very possible. But definitely all 13 are about everything. We need compassion in finding a soulmate. We need compassion in finding a good livelihood. We need compassion to have good health, to have children, to have healthy children, to have long life, and all the other blessings that are so vital in our lives. So let's take it seriously. The Yud Gimel Arachim are radiating. They're shining brilliantly in this month. It's like the sun is shining. But you have to go out and benefit from the sun. You can just say the sun is shining and I'm doing something else. You have to react, you have to interact with it. And the more you interact through our behavior, which is also why in Elul we add, we increase, in studying Torah, and tefillah and davening, especially davening, in, Hasadim, in acts of kindness, stocker, charity. These are all ways where midah midah, where we're showing that we're behaving in a way with yud yimu midah to others, so they inter- so the Hashem will say, Ah, I will do the same for you. So the prayer is powerful, but prayer and action is even more powerful. Let's put it that way. And then I want to conclude. I want to say my, my, my uh, blessing that uh, the prayers, no matter what level they're on, and everyone can only pray as well as they can, God understands. He understands your heart. rahman al liba that they should be fulfilled for your friends, should find their shaduchim this year, and all those singles that need that, and those that are b- praying for children, God should bless you with healthy child, healthy children, Pannosa Barachava, livelihood in abundance, long and good life, all in good health, and the fulfillment of all our heart's desires, and the things we don't know about, saying to Hashem, you know what I need, so make sure you open that, and of course the big bracha, the bracha of the gula, is Vashlema, after all these years, finally, which itself will be a blessing that will bring so many other blessings in turn. Okay. Next question. Where can we meet the king in the field? Do we need an actual field? Okay. Okay. When it says the king is in the field, does that mean I have to go into a field to greet and convene with him? I live in New York City where there are barely any trees left, let alone giant fields. Do I have to drive up to a forest in Pennsylvania to be able to access Hashem, or can he meet me in my modest backyard on a small patch of dead grass? Okay. <laughs> well, if you look in the Kutateter where the Alter Rebbe speaks about in Pashera A, Elul, it's actually Daflamid Bays. so it's easy to remember. The Rebbe once in a mimer. I'll mention it soon. The Rebbe said, it's Taf Lamed Beis. Lamed Beis, of course, Peter, Lamed Beis, and Tanya, we know, Lev, heart. And of course, the king in the field is all about our hearts connecting to God's heart. And God shows compassion. So if you look in the Maimer, Taf Lamed Beis, in Lekut he, he he's using the example to explain why the 13 attributes are shining. So why is it not a holiday? Well, Days of El? That's what a holiday is about. Divine revelation. And he says, because it's coming in our mundane lives. And that's the melech basada, mundane lives. You don't need a physical field to have a mundane life. It's whether you go to work, it's when you're involved in mundane activities, eating, sleeping, drinking, shopping. All the things of our mundane lives is, is the field. That's where God is now with you. So it's not actually you have to go to a field to find God. It's that God is with you in a revealed way in all your mundane activities. I've never heard that you have to dafka. It would be helpful to go find the field. Not necessarily. So field is figurative here. The whole thing is a muscle, an example. That there's the king in his palace. What does palace mean? That's Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. When God is full glory. And that's where the reveal, like the Beis HaMikdash. Today it's not a Beis HaMikdash. in Ashul, When you're praying, when you're davening, and all that we do on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. But then there's our mundane life. When we're working in the regular workday. the khil. That's the key thing to remember. So it could be on a small patch of grass or dead grass or not dead grass or it could be in your house as well. And that's where you have the access during this uh, period in time. Okay. Since we're speaking about the 13 midas, so two more questions that came in on that, let me address that. What is the correlation between having a beard and the 13 Midas Harachim? Is simply just having a beard a channel to draw down the energy of divine mercy? Is this unfair to women who are unable to access the 13 Midas Harachim in this manner because in general women don't have beards? And what about people who don't have a beard? Okay. So the answer is, first of all, the correlation is yud gimel tikune dikna is an expression used. The yud-gimel strands of dikna, of this dikna in Aramaic, is zokon, is a beard. So 13 strands, 13, they represent 13, because the beard does associate with the yud-gimel, as Chassidus explains, the physical beard, symbolic of the spiritual beard. That is what strands of hair that draw from the higher levels of Kesir, atik and arich, into the human being, into, say, talsus, into the spheres. So that's exactly what the beard is. The beard is drawing down from the part of the, the, the skull, the higher parts of the person's super-consciousness, into the person, but it's strands of hair. So it's like that, narrow, narrow wires, think of it that way. And that's where they have a particular And that Theda says, do not shave your beard, particularly about men. At the same time, we know that the hair on the head is not supposed to be cut. So I'm not going to discuss now the issue of hair. I did this in, in previous programs, but here is spiritual power. What comes to the beard is the spiritual power of the 13 attributes. And indeed, that's why it's a mitzvah, to grow your beard. And a beard is, 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 is a channel for blessings. I remember hearing once the Rebbe, was a couple, didn't have children for many years. Now he happened to be clean-shaven. And he was by the Rebbe Yechidis with his wife. And the Rebbe smiled and said, He said, a kid, a child, when you hold a child, especially young children, you'll see they grab your beard. <laughs> I can testify to that. And the Rebbe said, because they bring blessings. Now this is not meant to criticize someone that does not have a beard for whatever reason. This is not the discussion here. But a beard is a mitzvah in the Torah. It's not, are there halachic loopholes or a There are. And again, it's not the scope of our discussion. But no one will say that a beard is not a source of blessings. That's written in many places, in, in, the, in the Psukim, in Chazal, and in Zoyar and so on. Many svarim that talk about it. There's a whole p- sefer called Sefer Hadras Ponim Zokim, collects all the sources about the power of a beard, including the Yud Midas As far as a, a person who doesn't have a beard for whatever reason, if the reason is halachic reason, listen, Hashem sends blessings to everybody. If they're not doing something that's prohibited, then then, so then the blessings come. Would a beard make it easier? Like you have the actual wires, the channels? Obviously, yeah. But I'm not going to say that a person like that is deprived of blessing. As far as women go, we have a similar concept with circumcision. Isha command the miladamya. The miladamya. A woman is considered as if she did that mitzvah. She doesn't need to do it. So a woman not growing a beard is not her choice. God made her that way. That means they have the yud gimum Gimomit Sadachimim. You could say even earlier than men in a way because they have it from birth. The truth is everybody has Yudgimidh Sarachim. Moshe wasn't just praying for the for the older men with beards. He's praying for all the Jews. But clearly, a beard grows later in a man's life in the teenage years. Maybe because then he's Mikhuyev mitzvus, and then the children are not. So maybe he needs the beard more. I've never seen that explanation, but possibly. But with women, for sure, they have the same Amshachim. Of course, the Sarachim is not a male thing. It's God's divine attributes of compassion for all people. Okay. What's the difference between the 13 attributes of divine mercy that Hashem told to Moshe Rabbeinu and the 13 attributes of divine mercy that Hashem revealed to the proper prophet Micha? So by Tashlich we actually say, second day, and Tashlich, when we go to the first day of Tashlich, we say the 13 attributes of Micha, but that's from the prophet Micha, Mikkel Kamoicha. We also say it at the end of Yom Kippur, after Mafti Yayna. So Chassidus talks about this. It's actually a Zohar. An idr The Zohar says, I'll give you the source. The Zohar says like this. It says the difference is, and Chassidus, uh, here are the sources. Let me just give you the actual Mara Worthwhile. In Idra Rab zohar Chele Gimel, which is zohar Naseh, page 138A, that's one zohar I believe there's another zohar yeah, 133B, uh, but 138A is the main place. He talks about it, and it's also explained in Lukut A, 34B. Rab is Lukut also in the Siddur of the Mitla Rebbe, which is my Morim of the Alta Rebbe, but based, structured around the Shara Elo, In the new edition, it's page 330a. In the old edition, 227a. We discuss this briefly, brings there, and there's other places, and a few other places, that the 13 attributes that Moshe said was primarily for Gashmis. He needed to save them from the Chet Egel. So it's, in the language of this came from Zoh. And he says clearly, it's for Chay Gashmir. This is the language he uses. Rahmonis Al-Khayahuf, compassion for the physical life of a person. Chay Elam Haza. Yudgum misu of Micha. he says, which are the Yudgum misu that radiate the Khaidish that's the Khaya Nefish. Chaya Nashamas. Spiritual life. So it's on a higher level coming from Arich and Atik as he explains there. That's briefly the point. Now we obviously we want compassion on all levels, so that's why we say them all. Both the Yudhima Midisarachm from Rabbeinu, which also originates from very high levels, and as well as the Yudma Middisarachim from Micha, which adds even more, and that's why we say it at the end of Yom Kippur, by Minchib, which is the, the fourth prayer, um, by the end of Mafti Yayna. So that's briefly the answer to that. Let's see here. Okay. Now here's a question, which at first I was not gonna read, but you know what, I'll read it. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I witnessed something yesterday that involved you. And though it was a personal matter, I see also that we can learn from it some lessons for the month of El. But I need to ask you a question. A man came into shul, approached you. He was clearly either deranged or drunk or something else. and began to berate you in public without any provocation. People gathered around, and I was one of them. And I was looking at you, and though he was calling you names and things that you never say to anybody, even, and for no reason, I noticed that you stood calm, did not react, and just listened. You didn't even walk away. And then you said to him, you tried to engage with him, and said, you know who I am. Trying to, like, and then he asked you, are you going to hit me? And you said, Hit you. I love you. Why do you love me? He asked you. I said, Because you're a chalik elekama You have a soul, a divine soul. And he dismissed that as well. So, besides the embarrassment, which I regret didn't do anything about, how did you have the composure to just stand there and listen to clearly a person that was something wrong with him, using all kinds of uh, very insulting terms? And have the composure also to treat him with kindness. I mean, most of us would get angry, either reciprocate or definitely just walk away. Well, <coughs> I'm sorry you witnessed this. It wasn't pleasant. But I will tell you, I mean, we are in the month of El. But let's begin with Al Rebbe says in the Gera Psychedish, That when someone hurts you, even if they're completely wrong, and they're accountable for what they did. Everything has a higher purpose. the person that is receiving means that from heaven it was important that he received this. So I always keep that in mind. I wish I could always be cognizant of it, but it's cognizant of it, but that's Secondly, I clearly saw that this was like, you know, I don't know what was going on. It didn't seem to be provoked by anything. nothing happened. Not now and not before. So I don't know what's going on in this person's life. God should bless him. And thirdly, I do believe that. He needs a lot of love. And I didn't really calculate it. It's just the way I'm trained to think. So I stood there, I listened. And I think it's a lesson for all of us, in the month of El, especially, how you treat others is how you'll be treated. Yeah, there may be someone that may criticize you. There may be someone who may insult you. There may be someone who says things that are completely inappropriate. So I'm not saying they're justified, they're right. But we have to always think bigger. There's a God in this world, bigger picture, especially in the month of El. And that's why I think it is worth talking about even though it's personal. As I said, rather it didn't happen. But everything is a lesson and maybe that's a lesson for me to share here. Remember there are many things that God could come to us with complaints. So how we treat others is how we will be treated. And always be malamitzchus and learn positive lessons. And that's how I see it, and that's really where it comes from. Okay. Should we limit our requests from God for the new year? Oh, so many questions on Elf, It's interesting. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, in your past. Sunday night podcast, you made the suggestion that when we make positive resolutions for the new year, we should try not to bite off more than we can chew, so to speak, instead of of aiming too high and then not being able to fulfill our commitment, it is better to aim for something more achievable, and if that works out, after a few weeks, we can reassess the situation and incrementally add, add more if possible. This is very good advice, thank you. I have a question. It's taught, it's taught that on Rosh Hashanah Hashem writes into a book all the blessings that we will have for the year. So on Rosh Hashanah and during the month leading to, up to it, we try to daven so that we can maximize the amount of blessings Hashem will write into our chapters of the book. Should we apply a similar idea of not aiming too high into areas that aren't easily achievable in natural ways when asking for blessings for the new year? For example, maybe it's not the best idea to daven and ask that a million dollars miraculously falls out of an airplane and lands in my chimney, and all my financial problems will be instantly, instantly resolved. Perhaps it's better to dive for something more achievable, such as saying, may I have a blessing that my boss recognizes that I do a good job and offers me a 5% raise in salary, and hopefully he does so before my property tax bill is due. Or should we say, because Hashem's powers are infinite, why not aim high and ask for as much as possible? Thank you, and may you have a sweet and successful year. Okay. Yeah, very good question, actually. Well, when it comes to ourselves, I was saying don't bite off more than you can chew because you want to be realistic. The truth is, we're told, always do a little more than that's comfortable. Push yourself until it hurts a bit in a good way. But also, everything has to be done with a certain realism. When it comes to Hashem, you know, it's a very good question. I would say, my leaning is, ask for everything. Go for it. Now, of course, you could ask, instead of a million, why are you asking a million, why not a billion? Why not a hundred billion? Because I think most of us all feel that even though Hashem can give us that, more realistic, He'll probably give us a little less than that. Can He give more? Absolutely. So I would look at it more like this. I know you could say, I would say to Hashem, I know you can give much, much more than I'm going to ask for. You can give far, far beyond. But let's, <laughs> but I'll take a loss. I'll do 10% less than what you're capable of. Or 50% less, whatever it is. That would be the approach I would take. Because Hashem also has a sense of humor. He'll appreciate that. But not in a humorous way, in a light and frivolous way. I mean, you know, understanding that God, has all the gold and the silver. And, and ask something that is more fitting to where you are at. Above all, say, not only give me the blessing, but make sure I appreciate it. If that million came down your chimney, maybe chimney's chimney is not so good, it would get too dirty. But if it came another way, you want to also know how to spend it properly. It's so easy to scrounge and to squander um, our blessings. So I think that should also be part of the process. But I would go for the best possible in health, in all areas. You're talking Tashem. And we have to do the best possible on our end. So I want to just reiterate, I'm not saying b'amur, just do the minimum. I was saying there was context where someone was saying, do things take upon resolutions that are completely almost impossible for you but that are to do. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't push yourself as much as you can. And we have to have a little discretion, a little wisdom, a little prudence, prudence, and talk about it with the mashpia, it never hurts. Okay. <laughs> okay, since someone writes, Dear Rabbi Jacobson. With chaotic inflation, higher fuel costs, and higher prices for most things we need to survive, what is something we can do in the month of El so that when Rosh Hashanah comes and our our yearly lot is decided by God, that Hashem will increase our parnosus so we don't have to struggle? Thank you, and may you have a sweet new year filled with abundance materially and spiritually. Well, ask for exactly that. Maybe the raise should be, you could say to Hashem, please have my boss give me a raise that covers inflation and some more. And and ask for other brachas that help cover the costs. It's simple as that. I mean, you could ask for Hashem to lower the costs and cause no inflation, but that may be dealing with other factors that are not directly connected to you. So I would begin by asking exactly for that. We just spoke about Ask for a raise. And in general, ask Hashem that He should stabilize the world in a way where things don't go crazy, not financially and not in other ways, and all the uncertainty that's out there. Since we're on it, someone asks, when Mashiach comes, will gas prices go back down to $2 a gallon? <laughs> well, Mashiach comes, we're told, that the pleasures, the delights, will be, they'll be so abundant like offer, like dust, that people won't even notice it will be so abundant. So I would say they'll go down altogether, that we won't need the prices, perhaps. So why uh, ask only for $2 a gallon? Maybe it should be free. Um, how people will support each other, God will take care of that. I'm not worried about it. Whether that means the first kufa, right away Mashiach comes, will rightly go be that way or take some time. It's also a discussion. But that would be my quick response to that. Okay. A lot uh, going on here. I'm just looking at all the questions. Since we're talking already about Elul, and last week is Pasha Shaeftim so there's a question, is there a reason Pasha Shaeftim doesn't have a Maiman on Lakuta Teta? I mentioned before that the maimer melech basada is a nilu deydi li. It's two maimer in nilu deyde But it's in Parsha Re'eh. Luchut HaTera, which follows Tera Er, there's a maimer in every, there's maimer, maimer more than one maimer, on every Parsha, except Sheftim. The Eir HaTera that the does bring, that this Eretz HaMach does say in Luchut HaTera El, Parsha Sheftim. Derush El, Parsha sheftim. But in print, there's no pasha Sheftim. There's no maimer in Parsha sheftim. Now, the Alter Rebbe said Maimodim. We have my Maimodim my Ad Murazokim. We have Maimorim that al Rebbe wrote and said, all based on the Alter Rebbe, and Parsha Shaftim. So it's not that there aren't any Maimorim, which wouldn't answer the question anyway. It would just it would draw, carry over the question, why are there no Maimorim? But there are Maimorim. So why would Samak Tzedek, when he prepared Likud Teter, not make a section on Shaftim? So the Rebbe says, is the Maimer I mentioned before, it's a Mugadikah, edited Maimer, it's a Maimer, and he brings the Maimer about Melabasada, explains it's a beautiful Maimer. In it, he talks about page Lamed Bays, it's on page 32, the A, the A's connection to Melabasada, the A is like seeing face to face as you see the king in the field, and he sees you. And, in, and he asks, why not not Shaftim? So, as he says, maybe, because Shaftim indicates din, judgment. And din is done, is not all-inclusive. Din is distinguishes one person from another. That's the whole point of a din of Shaftim. Since El is an equalizer, like he says, that everybody can approach the king. It doesn't matter what your stature is and what your status is. It's not like in the palace, was a big difference between ministers and higher ministers and lower ministers and the, and lay people. Here, everybody. So it's an equalizer. Sheftim is the opposite of equalizer. It's a distinction. It's a distinguisher. It distinguishes, and that's maybe the rem is why he didn't put it in. That it's a of a chelik of Sheftim, because it, it's not the theme of El. But derech ha rem is the Rebbe says this in that moment. Okay. Now, there's more follow-up, plenty to follow up. Um, let's talk about some other matters, some other questions that came in, not related necessarily. Primarily, Parsha kiseitze, which many questions came in. I will try to do a few of them. I don't think I can cover them all. So first of all, the general connection of kiseitze to Because alei vecha, Hashem they say, vecha b'yadecha. b'yadecha, So there's two diyukim here, two key words. Why does it say, kisetzel You'll go out to wage war. It should say, kisilcham, when you'll wage war. Kisetzel, additional word, no need for it, seemingly. And alevecha, it should say, imovecha, with your enemy, vecha, also with, alevecha, upon your enemy. And the answer is the story of Elul. The tour writes that the Jews wear white when they go into Rosh Hashanah because in the old days it was a custom that when you were not, when you were guilty, you wore black. Or when you were in judgment, you wore black. You didn't know whether you'd be innocent. Once you were declared innocent, you wore white. But the Jews know the personality of God. And they know that they'll be zeichet b'din. So even before Rosh Hashanah begins, they already wear white. Why? Because they know God's personality, they know there's a connection, that no matter what happened during the year, our love and our connection is always there. And we're completely confident in it. So any enemy we face, whether it's a physical enemy, whether it's a psychological enemy, an enemy without, an enemy within, we always know the enemy is not us. It's outside of us. Yes, you have to wage a war, and the Shama comes down to this world and has to fight a battle with the animal soul. Lechem, when we eat a physical object, when we eat a physical food, it's called lechem from the word Muhammad because we're trying to extract the divine spark that's trapped there. Tefillah is compared to Khabib Bakashti to to, to, to Muhammad. But the Muhammad is not in our turf, it's not in our soul, it's outside of us. And we're always above it. Alevecha, not Im. You come with the confidence to know that you have the complete confidence that you will win this battle because it's outside of you. It's not being fought on your territory. It's being fought the enemy's territory. It's necessary because that's what God wanted. He wants a dider a hostile world. should become a home for God. That requires a battle. battle with our own temptations, with the animal soul, with the forces of corruption in this world. But it's always outside of you, and you're always above it. That's what Elul teaches us. That yes, you're dealing with looking introspectively, soul-searching, and we find sometimes things in our lives that are not perfect. We can't be in denial. But don't think your imperfections define you. They're outside of you. They're not the natural you. They are superimposed. The natural inherent you is your divine connection. Tzalem al you're created in the divine image. Then dust can gather. And we have to clean up the dust. But always know the dust is outside of you. And you're above it. Even psychological warfare is that you know the confidence, I can always win the battle. Al Alter says in chapter 26 in Tanya, then when you're depressed, atzfus. So when two people are wrestling, even if one is stronger than the other, but if he's depressed, it'll weaken his resolve, weaken his willpower, and unable to really win the battle. So winning the battle is not just how powerful you are. It's also your confidence level, your attitude. Alei vecha. That's one of the most powerful lessons of kiseitzei. The end of Keseitze we also talk about in Parashat It says always remember what Amalek did to you on the road. Whatever happened to Amalek? Were they wiped out completely or did they live on because King Saul made a huge error and captured Agog alive instead of killing him? Do Do we know today who Amalek is? When Mashiach comes will we physically kill every member of Amalek or is the commandment just to kill the philosophy that they represent? The consensus in general is that Amalek was wiped away physically. And what's left is the spiritual amolik. Doubts, Amalek, Gematria, sophic, Doubt. Amolik Asher baderuch, from the word kritus, creates coldness, detachment, complacency, apathy, indifference. Those battles we have to fight. Even if there may be Amalek, we can't identify where it is. We know Haman was definitely, Agogi, came from Amolik, But then it says, shal Haman, Barak." So his children actually became (laughs) bali tshuva. But are there any remnants left from that? There, it's not clear. Even if yes, maybe lots of them will be identified. But in most cases, in most consensus, I say, it's really, there is no amalek, except, as I said, in the is the spiritual sense of the word. And that's what we need to work on, our apathy, our complacency, coldness. Another question came in, might as well read it. In Pasha Kisitzi, we are told the the, the commandment that we must return lost objects to their owner. It says that Hashem keeps all the same commandments He commands us. We are also taught that in the spiritual worlds, worlds, and Hashem is whole and complete, and then separated into two parts, male and female, only to come together united again at their wedding. Therefore, it can be said, when Hashem makes a shidduch, He is observing the mitzvah of returning lost objects. In this case, the two parts of the soul that were separated. Yes, beautiful. says that in different svarim, Shavu Savayda, the two people who were lost from each other and they found each other. We can also say when some singles are having difficulty finding their basher, that Hashem is not fulfilling the mitzvah of returning lost objects in a timely manner. Therefore, I pound my gavel in judgment and find Hashem guilty of violating the mitzvah of Shavu Savayda. Luckily for Hashem, it is Chodesh Elul, which is a perfect time for tshuva. The proper tshuva would be for Hashem to find singles who want to get married and are having difficulties and send them their bashet right away and to compensate them for having to wait, He must award them a double portion of blessings for healthy children and abundant parnosah. Amen. Even though it's somewhat irreverent, I second that. I would rephrase the wording exactly, but you want to be on Hashem's good side. But I'm sure Hashem will understand the sentiment. And absolutely. But keep in mind one thing. Even though our Shabbos is, is a big mitzvah, let's say you lost you lost an object, and then someone comes to return it to you, and you don't want to take it. Or you don't recognize. You say, I don't know, who you who are you? It's not my thing. There are quite a few singles, and I'm not trying to point fingers, that maybe Hashem is sending them the right bashert, and Hashem is doing His part of the mitzvah. He's returning them the, the, the lost half, the second, the the... Uh, what we call the soulmate their soulmate but you have to be a keli for it I know people sometimes I don't want to say mess up but they are distracted I'm building a business now God I don't have time for my, my Aveda for my lost uh, item we have to also be wise from our end to make sure the keli is there but I'm sure Hashem will do his part and we definitely can demand and request and I appreciate the, the note okay that covers that let's see here now Is it appropriate to circulate a photo of the Rebbe's brother? And what should be our attitude to him? See, here is the letter. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, recently a photo of the Rebbe's brother has been circulating on social media. Since the photo shows him without a beard, some people are making the assumption that he wasn't religious. Even if it's true that he wasn't religious according to our our community standards, a beautiful lesson should be learned here because we see the Rebbe's parents and family never pushed him away because he took the profession of teaching math and science instead of becoming a rabbi for a living. On the contrary, they loved him, and the proof is how the Rebbe went out of his way to make sure his mother didn't find out that he passed away because he, she, she would be upset because she loved and cared about him. Unfortunately, sometimes in our community, even if someone is 100% religious, but they dress differently or display a curiosity about certain secular sciences, they get pushed away, and are misunderstood. We should all learn a lesson from the Rebbe's family on the proper way to treat people respectfully. Also, it's very possible that the Rebbe's brother was religious. How do we know what went on behind closed doors? Perhaps he spent time at home after work learning Torah and davening to Hashem that great blessings should rain down on the community. May those blessings be revealed immediately, and may we enter the new year of five seven eight three with collaborative blessings from Hashem and the Shneerson family. Well, whenever it comes to Beis Arav, Let's be careful. It's not of our business to be very honest. People talk about the Rebbe, people talk about the Rebbe, in the years that back in Berlin and Paris, there's all kinds of schmooze, rumors. I don't see a need, first of all, to create any, um, any history revision or to create stories that are not necessarily based on anything just because it may, it may strengthen someone's faith. these are great people, great family. Time the Alter we have controversial stories about his son, Rab and we have stories about the Tzemaq children and the Rebbe Marash's children. There's stories and stories. Be'i Sadaf is a Nigeya pale to Ara What's Negei to us? The picture is around. It's around. It wasn't up to me to, to circulate it, but it came out. And that's life, and that's it. Start speculating. We know there's sikhs from the Rebbe about his brother, Tafshim Memhay. We know there's a Dashima the Rebbe spoke when he stood up from Shiva and Tafshin Yud in Yud Gimalias when he passed away. Where he speaks about an coming down. You read the You can see the is hinting to some of his life. Even in Yisrael Ari you see the Rebbe's theme. That's what we know. That's the lessons we can learn from him. That's all that's nigeya. Everything else is gossip. Everything else is hearsay and rumors. I am not. What do, I, what do we know? Who's from? Who's not from? Even people I meet, people with full beards and not necessarily so from. There are people without beards and very from. So I don't know if this is something we need to be talking about or addressing, especially so in, out of respect to the Rebbe and so on. Do we have to f- hide things? I don't believe in hiding things. Hiding tells you right away that you're ashamed. You want to re- rewrite it. Because someone may have problems. I know people who are, they think they're big Mikushar and big connect, they have to make everybody into tzaddik, gom kameh. I'm sure they're all tzaddik and murim and I have no doubt about it. But they go backwards, you almost feel, when they say it, you almost feel oh, something's wrong with you. Let things be as they are. What we know, we know. What we don't know, what we don't know. And be humble about it Then that's that. You want to learn a lesson from his life? Learn a lesson from his life. You know, we have things that Rebbe said to the, Professor Rosenblum by the Fabringen. He said about him that he's, zealot in, his, he's zealot in his independence, in his individuality. Interesting expression about his brother. That's how I look at it, and I don't think we have to read more or read less, or speculate or understand. It's, it's not really, I mean, we understand everything about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu had an interesting life. And his, and, and his own brother also had issues with him. His own sister spoke about him. And she was punished for it. So I think we have to be careful where we address and where we go, and that's that. Okay. There's more to talk about, much more. I will I will address one more question. If we have time, let me see. The truth is, I'm just going to conclude back to month of El, since we're in the month of El, it's so a time to be extra sensitive. Extra compassionate. And extra passionate as well. Compassionate to everyone we meet. To people around us. Show a little more love. A little more kindness. Not just because we want God's kindness. That's also part of it. But that's what's required of us. Why we came to this world. It's to create this world. is a harsh enough world. It's enough pain and suffering in this world. We don't have to add to it. On the contrary. Every time you do a good deed. Every time you smile to someone. Every time you show a little compassion and kindness, you somewhat weaken the hold of this hostile, dark world. It's so easy for people to live a life of survival of the fittest, a dog eats dog, selfishness. That leads to all kinds of other things. We take this month seriously. It just simply begins with that type of shift, qualitative shift. Instead of looking at yourself and me, 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 and what I need, what am I giving? What kind of message do I pass on to my family, to my children, to others, to strangers? And when we do that, we behave like a melech basada, ourselves, where we're kind, we're giving, we're benevolent. Then, of course, God is that way with us. I would say the other way around. It actually begins with God being that way. When God smiles to us, we smile back, not just to God, but to all people around us. Yeah, do an extra favor, something you may not have done last month. This month, you'll do it. Go out of your way, a little uncomfortable, so it's a little uncomfortable. That's the way we prepare for a new year. Altareb explains in chapter 15 in Tanya, it's all about the qualitative shift. Get out of your comfort zone. Your agilis, your routines, your habits. One little shift, a little different than your yesterday's habit, that opens up the heavens themselves, changes worlds. Because it's not the regillus. That's the key to do something a little different. If you think what you thought, you say what you said, you do what you did, you know what you'll have? What you had. You think a little differently, you speak a little differently, you do something a little differently, then you have something new. Shem Sheh bless us all with Aksiva Khsimateva. Do our part in the three Kavim of teda Vedic Milas, Chasadim, and ge'ula, These are the five acronyms of the month of Elul, of the words Elul, and continue this journey to and even before the year ends, the blessings, children, healthy children, abundant parnasa, livelihood, all in good health, and the fulfillment of all our prayers and desires. Everyone be well. This has been My Life, Hasidus Applied. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Good Geben good Geben Sh'tiar. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at HasidusApplied.com slash donate.